today's episode of The Corner Booth, Mulraney and I discuss the potential college football season being canceled, the PGA Championship in review, the three biggest surprises from this Major League Baseball season so far, the Grizzlies, Blazers, Suns, and Spurs battling for the eighth seed in the West, and as always, we talk a bunch of hockey. But first, let me introduce you to the newest beverage to hit the ready-to-drink canned sparkling wine industry. It's Champagne. Mulraney loves it, and they are launching their first two flavors in early 2021. Champagne and blood orange, similar to a mimosa, and champagne and peach, similar to a Bellini. Check them out on Instagram at drinkchampay, D-R-I-N-K-C-H-A-M-P-E, and follow the journey from inception to launch and everything in between. There will be great discount codes, merchandise, and much, much more. Again, that's at drinkchampay. They can't wait to share their story and share the hashtag champagne all day way of life with you. All right, let's roll. Welcome back, everybody. It is the big one. Episode 30 of the Corner Booth. Mulraney and I are here. It is presented by Procrastination Sports. Go check out the blog at procrastinationsports.com. You can find all our podcasts there and on Spotify by searching Procrastination Podcast Network. The blog is killing it. The numbers are huge. We appreciate everybody's support. Mulraney, we got a lot to talk about. What's up, brother? I'm feeling pretty good. Welcome to everyone who subscribed to the Podcast Network because of You Don't Say... I'm a different Mike than the Mike you heard on that show. Mm. You're the original Mike. You're the Mike Mulraney. I refer to him as Mikey C. It gives him more of that Long Island Italian flow that I'm looking for with him. Strong. But, as you all know, Mul- uh, Mulraney, our editor-in-chief, the co-blog father, uh, the co-pod father, him and I. But yes, we got a lot of Mikes now. We got a Kristen and Kirsten. We've got a Liz and Lizzie. We got a lot going on with the same names. It wasn't by accident to confuse anybody, and it's not because of my ego that I'm the only Kevin, even though that has been speculated. Not the case at all. But we got a lot of sports to discuss today. First up, we got big news. We got bad news. The Big Ten comes in. The Pac-12 comes in, and they're saying the dream is over for college football in the fall. How you holding up, Mike? So this has kind of become my lane on the blog because I wrote about the Ivy League canceling. Um, the Ivy League canceled two or three weeks ago. The same way with March Madness, where the Ivy League was the first tournament, conference tournament to cancel itself to go into March Madness. They were the first football conference to cancel. We've seen the Patriot League cancel. And you could kind of write off these smaller conferences with the Ivy League, like no one's turning on into Saturday college game day to watch Harvard play Bucknell. Like, that's not a thing we're watching. Patriot League, you have to figure with the virus, you're not going to get your armies, navies, Air Force games. So what? We lose the wishbone offense. But the Big Ten, which has 14 teams, by the way. So, like, they're worried about the coronavirus, maybe a little bit more worried about math. But, like, 14 teams... They voted 12-2, allegedly, Nebraska and Iowa were the two that voted to play. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, the bigger teams of the Big Ten voted not to play. So it looks like, in all honesty, if the Big Ten the Pac-12 aren't going to play, it's so hard to justify the remaining three of the power schools. Do you think, who's, who would be the, I think the SEC would be the one holdout, right? If anybody is going to try to play, it would be the SEC. I would feel like that would be the case. Um, the SEC schools are 
much closer than the Big Ten. The Big Ten has to go all the way from Michigan or Michigan State to Rutgers. Purdue's in it. Iowa's in it. There's a lot of schools in the Big Ten that's a lot of travel from hot spots to not. The SEC, you got your Alabamas, you've got your LSU, Mississippi LSU, State. Auburn, Mississippi State. You have a lot of schools there that are right on top of each other. So yeah. maybe that's more feasible. The Pac-12, Florida, uh, California is seeing a resurgence of the virus. Right. So it's harder to justify your UCLA's, your USC's, your Stanford's all playing against one another. So the SEC might be the lone holdout. That's going to be tough. I Would mean, you watch a season that only has one or two conferences? Like, if we were only getting the ACC and SEC, would you even care to watch it? I think I would have to watch it, but I don't know what that would look like. I would watch it just because what else am I going to do with my Saturday? Um, yeah. But when it comes down to it, would I watch a national championship that's like Hawaii against Alabama? I mean, perversely, yes. Because mm. Alabama could beat them 140 to nothing in the championship game. So Do like, you think this is going to be... If the WAC plays the SEC, like, yeah, I'll watch that. Do you think it's weird, though? This is what I was thinking. It's already the middle of August, but because of COVID, it doesn't feel like college football was supposed to start next week. Like, if this was a normal year, college football would be starting next week. Yeah, and I, I mentioned this in my Big Ten blog when they put out the schedule. Last week, they put out the schedule starting one month from that day. I think they released it August 6th. The schedule starts September 6th. And you're just like, man, like there's no way a season's going to start in a month. Right. So I feel like it is difficult. It's going to be watered down. But if you told me in a month I'm going to watch replacement players in the NFL, like I would do that. If 100%. I'm watching replacement players on the Miami Marlins right now because Rob Manfred doesn't know what he's doing. So the Marlins have 60% of a fake roster right now. So and I'm gonna still in first place. I'm going to consume it, but could the national championship end up being the whack against SEC team? Like, yeah, that's totally on par right now. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it was the right decision. I've said this the whole time because... I think it's a tough ask to tell kids you might not be going to school and they're supposed to be student athletes. We might be doing this semester virtually. And then you ask them to go play football to bring money into the school while you're putting their health and uh, their health and safety on the line. I think that is a big ask. And I think I'm actually shocked that they made this decision because I always thought I wrote this in one of the blogs that the NCNA NCAA was always about making money over everything else. And for once, it seems like the schools and the NCAA have decided to not push forth with college football. Um, look, there's a lot of people on both sides of this argument. Some people think they, sh think they should be playing. Others think that this is the completely right decision. As much as it pains me, I think it is the right decision. I love college football. It's probably my favorite sport to watch, honestly. And it's going to suck. Saturdays are going to be dreadful in the fall because there's going to be because I'm not even sure if we're going to finish a baseball season. Um, hopefully we do, but 
it's going to be tough without college football. It really is. But I think they're doing the right thing, and I think we have to try to stop this virus. God willing, there will be a vaccine sometime by the time the football season was supposed to be ending, November or December. And then hopefully they can either play spring football or they wait till the following year. It's going to be tough, but, I mean, it's the cost of doing business right now in the world that we live in. I would be so down for having a spring football season that lasts about two months, maybe from, like, March and April. You play the national championship in May. You give them three full months off, June, July, and August, and then you start games in the middle of September. Um, I would be so down for that. I heard somebody suggesting that if the kids in the schools and the NCAA were willing to do that to get that much college football over a short period of time would be great. Because the way I look at it is, look at if that's the way it was every year, I'd even be okay with it because early season baseball really doesn't matter. If we were getting college football after NFL football, maybe that would be what spring football needs yeah. to be successful. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be weird without it. Um, sorry, I'm a little distracted. We are currently live watching the Blazers and Mavericks and they're tied 130-130 with a minute left. Um, Which means they're really technically need- down two and a half for you. Yeah, I need the Blazers to win this game and cover the two and a half. So you guys will know the results when you listen to this, but I really need the Blazers. Um, yeah. So college football, it doesn't I don't think it's gonna be played at all. I don't I think it would the SEC would come under a lot of fire. And I get look, the elephant in the room is the fact that the president came out and tweeted about how he wants to play college football. The SEC in that area of the country is a large portion of the president's base. Um, Ed Ogeron went on Fox News and said how much he loves the president and that he's doing a great job. So there's a lot of intertwining type of things going on right now that normally would never have to do with college football. But it seems now that coronavirus is being intertwined with everything else. The president is being vocal about everything and more people feel the need to talk about their political opinions now more than ever. So it's interesting that the SEC has not canceled their season yet. Um, I wonder if that has anything to do with what the president tweeted and posted on Instagram. The military schools have not said that they won't play yet. Um, Those are interesting to me. That will be interesting to see how that plays out. It's odd to me that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten got together on the same day and said they weren't going to play. It seems like this was a discussion amongst the Power Fives. And now we have the SEC and the ACC uh, and the Big and the Big – what is it now? The Big 12? Yeah. Or the – is that what – the Big 12, where Oklahoma is? And those three conferences have not made a made a peep yet about what they're going to do and i find that very interesting and i wonder don't get me wrong i don't think they should be playing i think it's a uh, a health risk and i think in a few months god willing with the way the numbers are going in some areas that we'll be able to figure this out and the and the vaccine will be here and by having these kids travel all over the place it might be too much of a risk when things are trending in the right direction but I think it would be very interesting to see three power five schools play the whole season and just have them play conference schedules. If it was just the big 12, the sec and the ACC, it would be very interesting. I would watch it, but it would be odd to see those three go against the grain. 
this could be the way either Texas is back for real or the University of Miami. This is it. They have to go with, we're back in a limited setting. That's it. This could be the way where they get back. Um, You would have to figure ACC-wise, Clemson would have a very good chance. They're talking about some of these schools joining for one year, the ACC, the SEC, or the Big 12. Of all of them, if you're Ohio State, if you're Michigan, you don't want to be exposed and play an SEC schedule. Because I'll tell you this, going into the season, they're talking about Ohio State being a top 10 program. They could go 3-9 and in the SEC. Like, we don't need the Big Ten being exposed like that. So if you're if you're an Ohio State, if you're a Michigan, if you're yeah, if you're I'm a Big Ten guy, if you're an Army or an Air Force or a Notre Dame, even like you want to play the Big Twelve, like you want Texas, you want Oklahoma, they play more your speed. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. You don't want to play Alabama, Auburn. LSU, LSU, back to back to back. If you're Ohio State, no, there's no, there's no, there's no Rutgers mixed in there. Let me no. tell you. Um, update: Portland is up by one with 27 seconds left. I need him to fall and hit two free throws, and the Mavericks miss. This is this is high intensity right now here, sports fans. Um, so that's our college football update. Um, I did have one more question about college football for you, and, I, and it has slipped my mind. But I, I, I don't know. This is just such a weird time, and the fact that college football is not going to be played is surreal. But I don't know. Do you? Th- oh, here's my question: Who do you think made the decision for the Big Ten schools? Do you think it was the? It it had to have been the dean of the school, right? There's no way they leave this up to crazy football coaches, right? There's no way that's possible. My, my understanding of the vote is the presidents of the universities cast a vote. Because it felt like in Harbaugh's letter and in some of the statements from coaches from the Big Ten that they were not briefed on the matter. So my understanding is the presidents, not even the athletic directors, but his boss, their boss, mm. voted not to play the season. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, Damian Lillard missed a two-pointer. The Mavericks got the rebound and then turned it over. There's four seconds left, and it's the Blazers' ball, and I'm up one. Oh, you have to hope for a foul and made both free throws. Yep. They're going um, to foul. But, it's a one-point game. Yeah, they got to. Um all right, well, let's move on to the PGA Championship. We have some big storylines from the PGA Championship. I wrote a preview blog and a uh, blog after the after the tournament. Brooks Kepka has gone full heel, huh? Oh, he's ready to get his takes in. About... He's like a WWF villain from our childhood. Oh, yeah. He's cutting promos. He cut a great promo on Saturday about Bryson DeChambeau and all of these guys ahead of him. And then he went out and shot like a 77. 76 he shot 76. in the final round of the PGA Championship. Honestly, I used to like Kepka, but he's worn out his welcome with me. Like, he is arrogant. He's bad-mouthing Dustin Johnson for no reason whatsoever. I get the Bryson hate because Bryson's kind of a tool and everything he does it seems there like There were fire ants out. on his ball scores. Oh, how about this, Mulraney? <laughs> Yesterday, I'm mowing the lawn. I get attacked. 
by fire ants. My my ankle swelled up. I got fire ant bites all over the place. You don't hear me complaining. This guy can't hit a golf ball off fire ants. <laughs> so I get that aspect of it, but Brooks kind of annoying this weekend. And I thought it was cool that Rory McIlroy stepped up for Dustin Johnson and was like, hey, like this guy's won 21 times on tour, and if you win any majors, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, oh, he made the first one. When uh, he made the first one, if you were, if you were Brooks Kepka, you have so much material to get on Dustin Johnson too. Yeah, he didn't even pick anything good. He didn't hit him for the blow. He didn't hit him nope. for Wayne Gretzky's daughter falling down the steps or whatever it was, where he claimed he had a back injury. Falling down the steps, yeah. yeah. Air quote city, yeah. So like he had a ton of material he just didn't use. Like basketball players, boxers, when they cut a promo, it's a promo. Yeah. And, this reminded me of like old school WWF promos, dude. Like yeah. what it and here's the thing too. You can't like you mentioned, you can't talk all the smoke and then go shoot a seventy six. No. You just can't do it. Okay. And that course wasn't even playing that difficult. I mean, guys are shooting 11, 12 under to win majors, and you go out there and you lay a 76. It's a real bad look. Also, at a point, nine people were tied for first, and not one of those nine, Brooks Kepka. And let's shout out Colin Morikawa, because yeah. he's a cool dude. He seems down to earth. I wrote it in the blog. He had this awesome video on Golf Digest. He went back and brought Golf Digest to uh, the course he used to play, which was like some 11-hole, like, course that was like run down in parts of it they would create their own holes and stuff just a normal muni guy like we all are yeah. hackers out there he turned himself into a great player he's now joined jack nicholas and tiger and uh i forget who else is on there to win um the pga championship before they're 24 years old he's like one of four players i think it's tiger jack rory and somebody else i'll tell but, you this that shot and i think it was 15, the par four where he drove the green when everyone was tied with him. Yeah. And then he shoots an eagle on a par yep. four. That yep. was incredible. Balls hanging on the ground. Those were a couple oh, of huge yeah. shots. Blazers covered. Virtual high five. There it is. Hello. We're back. Woo! But I'm happy for Morikawa. Um, he seems like a down-to-earth guy. He's a guy that I would end up rooting for. Um, I love Rory for standing up for DJ because DJ just doesn't care. Like, yeah. DJ is just rolling in cash. He gets to go home to Paulina Gretzky. His life is better than 99.99% of the people on this earth. So yeah. I really wouldn't care either. He already has won a major. He's won Ryder Cups. He's won President's Cups. Like, at the end of the day, he's a multimillionaire. His daughter was a millionaire because of her dad and her modeling career. He has nothing to worry about. So maybe that's why if Brooks Kepka is like trying to be the bully on the PGA tour now for no reason, really just to try. He's like this guy who's really good at golf, but is now like golf isn't cool. And like, I'm not like I'm cooler than golf. And guess what, Brooks, you might be getting on the wrong train because golf has never been trending more now than ever because it's it's really the best sport to watch on tv now from a visual standpoint and yeah. also everybody is playing golf more people are playing golf and more people are into it uh we got to talk about tiger 
I think I nailed the Tiger prediction with how he would play. I think we talked about this. We were both on that train yeah. where he would compete early and not be there in the end. That's exactly what happened. What do you think about Tiger? Well, we were talking about this in the show last week. Tiger was 22 to 1. And we had spoken about this where if you lay your money on Tiger, you have to be convinced that he can compete all four days. And what you got with Tiger was Thursday, he comes out, he's two under, blows up at the back nine, ends up, I think, even par the first day, maybe one under. Friday, he has a tough day. Saturday, this new putter he's using, he probably had 50 putts. He should really burn that putter in his backyard. Yeah. Or maybe have his wife beat him over the head with it again because that putter yeah. stinks. He but, couldn't make a putt all weekend. But here's the thing with Tiger. It goes back to Tiger's human now. Like he, he had nine holes of good golf on Thursday and he shot a 67 on Sunday. And you're like, oh, you know, he played 27 of 72 holes at an elite level. Like, that's who he is now. Yeah. It hurts on, to say that, that, but, like, if he would have put together four days like Sunday, he would have won. Yeah, 100%. And that's the thing, like, with Tiger that I think we were trying to make the point of on the last show. Um, the fact is he's 40-something years old now. We haven't seen golfers compete at this level at that age, right? I mean, Jack won it when he was 46, and Jack's the greatest golfer ever. So we're asking a lot of Tiger, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, he's the greatest ever, but I think people are blinded by how popular Tiger is and was. But, like, the fact of the matter is it's extremely hard to, to win a golf tournament. It's extremely hard to win a major. Um, and the fact of the matter is we were spoiled by his greatness at a young age. And we're still all of, all of the guys that watch golf now, our age are like reliving these cherished past memories. And the masters last year didn't help because it's like, he's back. He can do it. He's and tiger to me is obviously the greatest player of our generation. He's the second greatest golfer of all time, in my opinion. But the fact of the matter is it's very hard to win golf tournaments yeah. and it's harder to win majors. And when you're 40 something years old going against guys that are hitting the ball 335 yards now off of the tee and younger guys who are just able to keep their bodies in better condition and have, and have the stamina to play four days in a row, it's going to be a tall task for tiger. I think he'll compete at Augusta for the next five, six years, every year, five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. I really do. I think he'll be in the hunt all the time. If he's healthy at Augusta, I think he'll be in the hunt at the Open Championship a lot of the time because it's a strategic type of course. Yeah. But the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship will be tough for Tiger to compete in. Um, you know, if anything, cuts. now as he not regresses but physically regresses. Yeah. Because they made Augusta longer to quote unquote Tiger proof it, mm. but now as Tiger kind of regresses to the old mean because now the guys like DeChambeau and Johnson and those guys That's hit it far off the yeah. tee now. Tiger's not necessarily that guy. He might play better at Augusta because he's not out driving everyone like he used to. Like your DeChambeau's, your Dustin Johnson's, your Zach Johnson's. Like Those guys hit the ball a long way. Now you're looking at 
Tigers more mid- middle of the pack, mm-hmm. that might play better at Augusta than when they went out of their way to change a 200-year-old golf course to stop him. Right, and I think you make a good point that I think that course is so strategy-driven, right? You have to be able to think your way around that golf course a lot like you have to do at St. Andrews or any of the courses over there um, for the British Open. Um, But Augusta is the most strategic golf course we get to see every year. The greens are quick. You have to know where to place the ball. And it's not about driving distance there. You have to know where to place the ball in the fairway. You could hit a 300-yard drive, and your lie in the fairway could be so bad that you have to lay up from 100 yards or hit a completely awkward shot. Whereas Tiger knows that course like the back of his hand. Um, he's won, what, five green jackets now, I think? Yeah. And that, to me, is what's going to keep him relevant at Augusta, right? Augusta, uh, the Masters is the only major we get where we play it at the same place every single year. And that is going to do wonders for Tiger. That's why I think Phil will still compete this year and maybe next year, maybe the year after that. Tiger is going to be in contention at Augusta for as for the foreseeable future, just like Fred Couples in the last 10 years has been three, four, five shots off the lead going into the weekend. Yeah. And we don't hear from Fred Couples all year unless on the senior or on the champions tour, but he shows up at Augusta and knows how to play that course. That's why Jack was able to win it when he was 46 years old. And that's why Tiger will compete at Augusta. But these Tiger fanboys, you're putting too much expectation on what Tiger can do at this age. Yeah. What he did last year at Augusta was legendary. He's the greatest golfer of our generation. But every great golfer, and there's been a lot of them, Tiger, I don't think Tiger's the greatest golfer of all time. He was the most dominant golfer of all time for a long period of time. And in that time, he was obviously the greatest. But we've seen a lot of champions, a lot of great golfers who have won a lot of green jackets um, and other majors get in their 40s and they just hit a wall. But they'll be able to compete a little bit at Augusta. But these other tournaments are going to be tough for him to win. That's why I said it when it happened in 2018 uh, when he was competing to win and was in the final group coming home at, at the Open Championship against Molinari and going against Kepka at the PGA Championship. What he was doing was spectacular. That's not what a 40-year-old golfer is supposed yeah. to do. And I think as he gets older and battles the injuries, it's going to be harder. And this season, being so out of whack, didn't help him at all. Yeah. Um, what are your feelings about Phil? He's this 50-year-old who he's the oldest guy on tour right now consistently. Obviously, you guy, you got guys like Stricker who shows up once in a while, VJ, guys like that. But Phil is playing in almost every tournament. What are your thoughts on Phil? Have we seen – do you even give Phil a chance to compete in any other majors going forward, including Augusta? Phil, again, because he's not – as long off the tee as he was 10 years ago, I feel like that oddly helps him at Augusta because they've done so much to change that course. He's been more consistent off the tee now, though, than he was when he was younger. Yeah. I think it's different for Phil where he has a better mental game now than he had 15 years ago. I mean, Definitely. people always talk about the U.S. Open at Wingfoot where he, where he hits the ball off the canopies because mm-hmm. he had never won a major before. I think yeah, that's a joke. Um, with with Phil and Sergio, now that they've broken through, I don't think he'll have that. I also think there's a chance with Phil, 
remember five, six years ago, Greg Norman in like his 50s came mm-hmm. out and he had the 36-hole lead at the U.S. Tom Open? Tom, remember Tom Watson at the Open Championship? Yeah. Should have won the tournament until the last hole and he hit it over the green? Yeah. yeah. So, so guys can do it. You're right. Yeah, I think I think with Phil, it's very these rotations at the Open, the rotations at the PGA. Could he play St. Andrews yeah. well? Could yeah. he play winged foot? Yeah. I mean, if there's, you know, if if they play the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines, then, like, him and Tiger might have one more grouping that'll get people on their feet. But I think with Phil, it's very rotational now. I yeah. With golf, I feel some of these older guys can hang on. In tennis, you're seeing what Nadal and Federer, and mm-hmm. even in football, you're seeing it with Tom Brady. The older guys take care of their bodies better. And with golf, it's just bombing it, and Phil loves bombing it. Yep. So I think he still has a chance. It's just the rotations of where they're playing. And I don't, I, I don't think we've seen the end of Tiger and Phil competing for majors. I just think it's unrealistic to expect them to win it. But I do think we'll see them, them battling on Sunday at the Open Championship, like Mike mentioned, or at Augusta, because they're the two best players of our generation, right? But without Tiger, Phil probably has 10 majors, probably. I think he's yeah. got six. He probably has 10 or 11 without Tiger. Yeah. Um, so they're the two greatest players of our generation. I don't think they're done competing in majors, but we have to stop expecting them to win. I think we have to be pleasantly surprised and root for them like we did with Greg Norman those couple times in the late 90s, early 2000s when he was at the end of his career, uh, Tom Watson at the Open Championship, Fred Couples when he throws a little flash in the pan yeah. at Augusta. Um, you know, I think that's what we have to expect from these guys. I think, obviously, we have another 10, 12 years before Tiger is in the, not maybe not that many, but eight, 10 years before Tiger is, you know, riding off into the sunset. I still think for the next five, six years, he will compete at Augusta and at the open championship. And I think Phil for the next couple of years, Phil looks good, man. I mean, he finished second at uh, the St. Jude two weeks ago. Yeah. So he can still play with these guys. It's just about doing it in the majors when the pin placements are tougher, when everybody's ultra focused, um, when the conditions aren't ideal, like they were playing in, you know, rainy 50 degree conditions today. And that's what a major is. So I, I saw that uh, coming into the next major, they dropped Tiger to 30 to one. And with the compact schedule, I just don't know if I like him at 30 to one. I don't either. I don't like Tiger at those odds to win the tournament. I th- like we talked about in the preview show. I might like Tiger as a top 10, top 15 bet, but I, you can't just bet Tiger to win at 30 to one. There's other guys that have better odds right yeah. now that are playing better golf. Uh, I mean, if you're doing it from a sheer gambling perspective, if, you, if you're just a Tiger fan, yeah, by all means. You, you know what the Tiger line on. is? It's like uh, when Peyton Manning used to play the Jaguars and the line would be like 22 and a half. And you'll be like, everybody says, oh, well, the Colts are going to go in there and put up 40 points. But, like, if Manning doesn't play the whole second half, Blake Bortles throws one touchdown pass and they cover. And you're done. Like, right. it's, it's the same mindset with the line where Vegas knows people are going to bet Tiger at 30-1. to 1. So, like, right. the smart bet is elsewhere. Even if you think Tiger's going to win, that bet with that line with Tiger isn't the way you make money. 
for example, like I got I got Tony Finau who's playing better golf than Tiger right now. He was like forty four to one last weekend to win the yeah. PGA Championship. That's better odds. Like that's just a better bet right now than to bet Tiger at thirty one. Yeah. You're getting better odds for a golfer who's playing better. Um, let's uh, shift gears here. Let's talk a little baseball, Mike. So baseball season is still moving along. It seemed like the Cardinals had some more false positives than they thought. So they haven't canned the season yet. We're still going ahead. The socially distant stuff, you can see it when watching a baseball game. More guys are wearing masks, hand sanitizer, no more high fives, none of that. So they're trying to get this season done. God willing, they will. But let's talk some surprises uh let's give me your three biggest surprises we'll comment on them and then i'll we can go tit for tat here you want me to go first or you want to go first i'll do my first one here yeah go ahead the houston astros and specifically Mm. jose altuve and and oral hershizer said this in the broadcast (laughs) yep guessing is harder than knowing (laughs) out Altuve hitting a dollar seventy-seven, couldn't buy a one liter of Coca-Cola for his average. They are being, they're being exposed. Yeah. And, bonus, the Houston Astros better learn how to fight, fight, because they've already had to fight twice in twelve games, and yeah. that's not the end. No, not even close. And honestly, the Dodgers fight got stopped way too soon the a's fight with them that was a fight people were throwing haymakers yeah everyone hates the astros and look hershizer was right and i and i was screaming this from the mountaintops everybody called me a sore loser i wrote blogs about it we did podcasts on it i got my championship ripped out from under me by these cheating pieces of garbage yeah and now they're in the middle of the pack in the al west with the same team and all these guys who were supposed to be Hall of Famers are now hitting a buck eighty-five. Yep. Now Tuve, Bregman, Springer—they're all overrated. They all knew what was coming. They went on this run for three years of cheating baseball, cheating the fans, cheating the other teams, specifically the 2017 World Series champion Los Angeles Dodgers. They stole that one from my grandfather. So you guys did a disservice to an old man. So there's a lot of things to hate about the Astros. And you're right. I bought into the fact a little bit when the season started that, hey, they're still talented. But guess what? They haven't looked good in a lot of these games. And teams that we were expecting to be real good baseball teams, the Dodgers, the A's, who we who we said the Astros might even be better than, have cleaned their clocks and have yeah. shown them what real baseball teams look like. I mean, the A's just whooped them. Yeah. For a whole series over the weekend. And good for the A's. You know, the Astros, it couldn't happen to a bunch of worse people. The guys that disrespected the game and that that boob, Rob Manford, just let it just let them get away with all of this. Yeah. And we talked about the complete hypocrisy BS of suspending Joe Kelly like they did for 22 games. If you're not going to suspend people, and look, I'm a diehard Dodger fan, but this was the Mets argument with Utley. That if MLB isn't going to do anything about it, then we need to take it into our own hands. And I agreed with the Mets. The Mets should have got their chance to hit Utley, and they threw Syndergaard out of the game. I was at it. But look, this is the same, same type of thing, and this is worse. Utley went in too hard to second base and hurt a player. 
I don't think he did it intentionally. The, 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 the Astros intentionally cheated baseball for seasons. And you know what? Sometimes it's old schoolyard justice. And that's what is happening with the Astros. And they deserve every bit of it. I hope they get hit with pitches in the backside and in the small of their back from now until the end of these guys' careers. What I really thought was interesting so far about this season as well when it pertains to the Astros, we're seeing guys do bat flips. We're seeing guys celebrate on the mound and in the batter's box. No one's being thrown at. The guys being thrown at are Altuve, are Springer. Um, The guy on the A's who ran out and fought the dugout, whose name's escaping me right now, he was hit five yeah, times in three games. So, like, Not I to get mention, him. They, say that, they said that the Astros hitting coach is the one that was chirping at him. Yeah, Not he, even a player. So he now had the mentioned, Astros coaches are getting their players to go. Yeah, it, they had mentioned that the hitting coach said something about that guy's mother. And that's why after him being hit, I believe it's five times in three games that he charged the, the dugout. Astros dugout. <laughs> and shout out to that guy because... It's one of those things where when Brad Doherty punched Bill Lambeer in the face in a Celtics Pistons <laughs> series, everybody stood up for Bill, Brad Doherty. Yeah. It's one of those things where if you're Joe Kelly, if you're this guy on the A's who's been hit a few times, you will never, you whatever locker room you walk in, because Kelly's kind of a journeyman. This yep. guy on the A's, I don't know too much about. I assume he's a journeyman just because Billy guy, Bean got him for on the clearance <laughs> rack. But you have to assume like these guys, wherever they go, will be respected because of how and they're they endear the themselves to the fan bases right away. Yep. Like me as a Dodger fan, Joe Kelly stunk out loud last year, especially in the playoffs. Now I love the guy. You know yep. what? He wasn't even on the team that lost to the Astros. But he's like, these are my guys. This is my team now. And you know what? Yeah. Bregman and uh, uh, Correa, you're getting drilled. Here you go. Have yeah. at it. And good. I'm all. Uh, th- this is what happens when you have an inept commissioner that didn't do the right thing. This is what happens. And then you expect players to not retaliate. Like Mike Clevenger has said many times that when he gets that next season, when things are back to normal and he gets on the mound against the Astros, those guys are getting hit. Like he has made it yeah. perfectly clear. And. It's kind of like in the Bad News Bears when Tanner, when they're like, Tanner, who'd you get into a fight with? And he's like, the seventh grade. He fought the whole seventh grade. <laughs> yeah. That guy was ready to fight the entire Astro dugout. I've never yeah. seen a guy just charge just charge a dugout and be like, let's go. I don't yeah. care if I get my ass kicked. I'm taking you guys all on. I loved it. Yeah, the, the Astros are a huge surprise. I have a couple. I have a surprise here that you and I didn't see coming. The Detroit Tigers are a half game out of first place. Uh, and we're almost uh, two-sixths of the way through this season. And the only Tiger I can name is a 40-year-old Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, I don't know anybody else on the team. <laughs> but you know what I will say, though? I know who their manager is, and they have a good manager. Ron Gardenhire is a good manager. He was mm-hmm. a great manager in Minnesota. He's now with Detroit in his second year. You know, people like to undervalue the manager in baseball, but if you get a really good one, it can help, right? Terry Francona, yep. Ron Gardenhire, uh you know, Joe Madden, normally the Angels stink, but we kind of expected that. The Angels have no pitching whatsoever. Um, but the Tigers have surprised me big time. Like you said, you can't name anyone on their team. But right now, we pull up the standings of this team, and I'm going to do a Francesca. But I am almost positive that they are a half a game 
out of first place right now. And yep, a half game out of first in the AL Central right now, the Detroit Tigers. My second surprise is Charlie Blackman's hitting 492. Yeah, that's pretty good. So there's a obviously in Colorado. Batters are always, I want to say, two to three weeks ahead of pitchers at the beginning of a season. You're but right. if you're playing in Colorado and you're two or three weeks ahead and the game and the season's only eight weeks, like Blackman has a really good chance of hitting 400 this year. He's already at 492, so he would have to drop 100 points yeah. in the next six weeks. Which seems yeah. pretty tough because they've already played a fourth of the season, and they're in and they're in first and they're in first place. They still have a half game lead on the Dodgers. Um, they're on a two game losing streak, but we've talked about this with the Rockies, right? It's will the pitching hold up down the stretch? Yeah. Back to the Tigers, quick. You know the Tigers aren't. You know this isn't. You know five games into the season and they're three and two and a half game out. They're nine and five and they've won four in a row. They're seven and three in their yeah. last ten. Gardenhire's got them playing good ball, man. He yeah. really does. Um, my next surprise is one that I thought. I mean, we both talked about um, how bad we thought the Tigers would be, but we also we did say the Marlins were going to be better than yes. people were talking. But I am still surprised that the Marlins are in first place. Um, they're on a two-game losing streak immediately after I wrote that blog, which is par for the course of the Kevin Mush coming and hitting you hard. The scores Mush came and hit hard. But they, like you mentioned earlier, they're playing with no Major League Baseball players pretty much, and they're 7-3 and three right now. Yeah. Um, and they have a half-game lead. The Marlins... The Marlins right now 7-3. Their percentage points above Atlanta, who's 11-7. and seven. And then everybody else in the NL East is under 500. So with Miami, there was a lot of concern after so many players tested positive. But the reason the rosters are bigger this year is because you can carry as many players as you want that are major league ready. And man, Miami did it. I mean, Atlanta lost their last game, so that's why they're kind of technically tied. But Philadelphia 1-1, Washington 1-1. The Mets lost, so no one's really gaining any ground on them. Miami goes to New York to play the Yankees, which that could be bad for them. But man, the Marlins are seven and three, sticking to it after the virus ravaged their whole locker room. That's really impressive what they're doing. My second surprise has been, and this is kind of, or excuse me, my third surprise. This is Homerish, but man, my Mets stink. They're bad. They make me feel bad. It's just not anything. I want to be a part of like they stink and part of that is Cespedes quitting on the season part of that Stroman quitting on the season the bullpen they're trying to get better I don't think the bullpen 
is the last 10 days with the ERAs under two. I think the bullpen is more of what we saw at the beginning of the year. I just don't think they're that good. They're not scoring enough runs. Only weirdly on to Grom Day, where typically they don't score that many runs. But they're a, they're a tough franchise to root for. I don't think they're that I don't think they're that good. I have some problems with Luis Rojas and how he's managing the team. It's just really tough to see this franchise continue to struggle the way that they do. Stroman opted out after acquiring enough major league time. Cespedes has been hurt all year. Stroman was hurt too. I mentioned this in my blog. I just don't think that they have that much going for them. And that's difficult because I thought they would be better. I thought they would be a better team than they are. And it's just really, really an uphill climb for this franchise. All right. And my third surprise of this season right now, it's not really a surprise, I guess, but I did think that we were going to have a little bit more separation in the AL East. I thought, you know, the Yankees weren't the world beaters that they started out the season as we talked about the Rays, how we liked them both, but it's pretty amazing that Baltimore is only two games out of first place right now. Uh, and I don't think it can withstand, but the fact of the matter is that the Yankees who were supposed to be this big, huge world beating team have now lost two in a row and only have a two game lead on the, you know, shit can Orioles. And when we were doing our baseball preview part two, electric boogaloo, mm-hmm. the two teams that you mentioned, the Orioles and the Marlins, I believe were, the Orioles were over under, I think, 19 and a half. Tigers, too. They already have seven. The Tigers were 18 or 19 games. They already have nine. And the Marlins, I think, were 22 or 23. And they already have seven. Right. So all of these teams that, you know, Miami, we said, was going to be better than people thought. We both said that Detroit might be the worst roster ever assembled. They're nine and five. So, so here's here are some of the teams. That, here are the teams that are in last place. The Giants, I don't think they're a surprise. We thought they were going to be bad. Yeah. The Mets are a surprise to me. I didn't think they were going to be in last place. The Pirates, we said they were going to be horrible. They're three and thirteen, and by God, they are really bad. I watched one of their games the other night. They are not good. They've scored the sixty four runs in sixteen games. That's impressive to be that bad. They have a 188 winning percentage right now. The Red Sox, I I didn't buy the hype that they were going to be bad, but they're pretty bad. They're 6 and 10. The Royals are in last place, but they're only 7 and 10. Um, we thought they were going to be bad and I think we were spot on with the Angels. Yeah. Uh well, no, you liked the Angels. I liked them a little bit. I didn't think they'd be in last place. I thought this was uh I, I thought, thought Seattle would be worse than both of them. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. <clears throat> But man, the the bottoms of these divisions, everybody the winners, the obviously division winners get in, the second place teams get in, and then there's a wild card beyond that. Yeah. So if the season ended today, Yankees and Tampa Bay would both be in, Minnesota and Detroit would be in, which is weird because Cleveland has an identical record but i think they've played two less games oakland and houston would be in houston seven and nine would be in yeah 
And then your two wild cards would be Cleveland and uh, Baltimore. Baltimore. Interesting. And then in the NL, it'd be Colorado and the Dodgers. Yeah. The Marlins and the Braves, the Cubs and the Reds, and the wild cards would Brewers be... Brewers and Padres. Brewers and Padres. Yes, sir. Man, I'll tell you. Fernando Tatis Jr. Good player. He's a hell of a player. Him and Machado on the left side of that infield is going to be problems for the Dodgers for a long time. Uh, Colorado... I'll tell you, man, this shortened season all in the summer where they can score some runs. It's scary. Also interesting, Rockies, Dodgers, Padres have all scored an identical amount of runs. The Dodgers aren't hitting right now, and that's the only thing that's giving me confidence that we're going to be fine and win the World Series because they are still a half game out of first place right now, uh, and they haven't hit at all. And... um, when the bats come alive, I think they will take that division. But, you know, right now, I, I, I guess it's a weird year because the division really doesn't matter that much now that they've expanded the postseason. Yeah. It, 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 it honestly doesn't. Like, it doesn't matter who you play first in baseball. It really doesn't at all. So yeah. uh, you just got to fight for those two, you know, the two spots in the division and then get the wild cards. Honestly, as much as we were poo-pooing it and kind of being like, this is weird, it makes it fun because every team is in it, unless you're the the Pirates who were three and thirteen. Every yeah. other team is in it. Um, let's wrap up quick here. We don't have to talk too much about it, but the eighth seed in the Western Conference of the NBA, it's heating up. We have the Suns, the Spurs, and the Blazers all fighting for those spots. Who else? We got one more team in there, and the, uh, Grizzlies. the Grizzlies all battling for this eighth spot. The Suns have won seven games in a row. They had a 0.3% chance to make the playoffs when the NBA restart happened. They've won seven in a row and are now a half game out of first. Or a half game out of the eighth spot, excuse me. Devin Booker has come out of the restart as hot as any player in the league outside of TJ Warren in Indiana. Portland is playing very good, getting uh, Jurkic back. Carmelo Anthony's playing very good. Damian Lillard's playing very good. The NBA basically crafted this play-in game scenario for Zion Williamson and the Pelicans, and they stunk it up. They're already eliminated. Sacramento's eliminated. The weird team here is the Spurs. Pop is just kind of coaching them up as usual. So in the end, I think it's going to end up being Portland and Memphis. Portland has a little bit more experience. I think they'll win two out of three. But the eight only has to win one time, and the nine's eliminated. So yep. <clears throat> it could get real weird. Who is the most dangerous team out of the four if they get in? Not if they get into the play in 8-9, but if they get into the tournament. The most dangerous team to play the Lakers, I think, is Portland. Agreed, 100%. I think Phoenix is on a heater right now, but I think the Lakers take care of them. I yep. think the Blazers are a tough matchup for the Lakers. I don't think I think that series goes six or seven. I would say this: the Lakers look very bad in the restart. The players they picked up, Dion Waiters, J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith looks washed. Dion Waiters has always had problems with passing or seeing the floor. He's a shoot first guy, 
And I love Deion Waiters because I feel like every great role player has to feel like they're the best player on the floor. The problem is Dion feels that too much. So, but they're saying that of the 1,800 lineups, the Lakers have like the sixth worst with the way that Frank Vogel is trying to mix and match guys. But man, I'll tell you, if that Lakers team that hasn't scored 100 points the entire bubble has to play against Damian Lillard, McCollum, Nurkic, and Anthony, that team's going to put up 100 points. So I think Portland's going to be a real problem for him. Yeah, I agree with you. And the Lakers have looked really bad. Uh, again, they did lock up the one seed, so maybe they just don't care. Maybe this is a mail-in type of performance. But I do think Portland will be trouble for them. Uh, and it's not just us. The greatest analyst of all time, Charles Barkley, agrees as well. So That's right. If if you, me, and Chuck are all on the same page, I'm cool with that. But, yeah, no, the Blazers look good. They did win tonight, covered. Good teams win, great teams cover. They covered by a half a pimple. And I'm proud of the boys tonight. They went out there and played their ass off for me. And that's, that's all you can ask out of these guys. You know, they're away from their families, they're in the bubble, and they're making me happy. They're covering the spread. That's all we need out of teams right now. Because um, we don't know, you know, man, when the NBA is over, it's going to be a dark time for us again. Yeah, the NBA, we have, we need the we're NFL. spoiled right now with everything happening at once. If Look, if we don't have the NFL, you and I are going to have to, we might do like, I don't know, we're going to have to start like watching sports we never even thought about. Like maybe we'll do like a Brazilian, or not Brazilian, like a, where, where do they play soccer right now? Like Russia? Like we'll do a Russian soccer podcast? We'll, we'll go cover badminton. Yeah, anything. Horse racing. We might just do a full horse race show. Yeah. Horse racing and golf. That'll be us. But we, we have faith in the NFL. They seem to be moving full steam ahead. $1 billion but, uh, TV contract. Right. Right. And they don't have to worry about kids' safeties like the college, like college football does. But, uh, oh, we didn't get to hockey tonight. We ran out of time. A tradition unlike any other. Darn it. Well, maybe next time. Uh, Mike, anything else to say to the people? Said it all. All right, check us out on the blog at ProcrastinationSports.com. Check out the podcast network on Spotify by searching Procrastination Podcast Network. You can find this show. You can find uh, our movie podcast that Shane and I do together, uh, Production Delay. You can also find our new podcast called You Don't Say, where we uh, talk about some personal stuff and a bunch of funny news stories. Uh, had great numbers with that show, Editor-in-Chief. I know you were happy about that for the yeah. first uh, for the first week. And this Friday, we will be releasing our new dating and uh, relationship podcast. Thankfully, you don't have to listen to Mike and I talk on that. We have uh, the cat ladies, Kristen and Kirsten. They're coming to you with that show. Very good. I, uh, I listened to some of it today. And uh, very, very, very good. I think you folks will enjoy that. So spread the word. We're working hard. And we might have a couple surprises in the works for you within the next month or two. We are trying to get a procrastination reunion of some kind. Yeah at an undisclosed location, maybe to bring you guys some content uh, if we can make that happen. So stay tuned for all that. We'll be back next week, Mulraney and Scores, for episode 31 of The Corner Booth. We keep it rolling. You guys keep listening. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Thank you.